We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Blue Wire. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep podcast. I'm Kane Pittman and I am joined by Ty Windish. And for the first time that we've had to go through this, the Bucks are well and truly with their backs up against the wall. They are facing elimination after another loss, their third straight loss, the first time they've lost three in a row all season long. They go down 105-99 on the back of a 33-24 fourth quarter for the Raptors. And Ty, this is unfamiliar territory. Yeah, it is. Uh, blissfully, you know, the Bucks haven't really been in a situation like this all year. And, I mean, you mentioned Milwaukee not losing three games in a row at all during the regular season. I mean, that would suck. But those things happen to most teams. It wouldn't be too bad. I mean, you really talk about sort of compounding the bad stuff. The first three-game losing streak of the whole season coming in the playoffs when, as I think most of you know, four wins gets you a season series, or gets you a series, not a season series, just a series win, makes it a a pretty bad time to start with that one. And based on what we've seen in the last two games in Toronto and now one here in in Milwaukee and what I think was a, a pivotal game five, it's uh, it's not great at the moment, Kane. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, and that's that's not, and this is something I, I you know I tried to get across after Game Four. Let's not mess around with with anything. I mean, this is the Eastern Conference Finals. The Toronto Raptors won fifty eight games. I mean, they only won two games less than the Bucks, and this is a really really good basketball team. And right now, they're putting the Bucks under all kinds of pressure. I mean, I, I understand that there can be a lot of frustration and people are like, well, what, what is happening? This is a choke job. The Raptors are just really good. And the Bucks are coming up against a very, very good basketball team. And uh, they, 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 right now, uh, it, there's no room for error for Milwaukee. So, uh, as I said, 105-99, they are one game away from their season ending. They're also one game away from having a game seven and being one game away for the NBA finals. So they are so close uh, to where they want to be, but uh, to get there, they need to go on the road now uh, and beat a, a Toronto team that has, as we've said, has beaten them three times in a row. Now the Bucks did win in Toronto twice during the regular season. Obviously they lost there twice earlier this week, but uh, I, you know, I just think that we need to give credit to this Toronto team. They are, they are just very, very good. They have Kawhi Leonard, obviously, uh, leading from the front. This is a guy that is clearly hobbled and clearly suffering from that uh, knee injury. At times, he looks like he can hardly walk. They get another thirty-five points from him. And when you think about that fourth quarter, uh, I can't help but think of those two step-back threes in a row. They 
were backbreakers. They were early in the fourth, but when he hit those, you just knew that the Bucks were going to uh, be in a real battle to the end. Yeah, you did, and I think I'm glad you brought up Kawhi, and even though he's hobbled, the fact that he's been so effective, I think I tweeted this at, at some point. I think it kind of got lost on the shuffle. I think there was a lot of a lot of uh, expletive laced tweets about officiating and the Bucks' lack of spirit and whatever else that people were blaming for this. But uh, I, I think what this series, in my opinion, has come down to over the last three games is that Giannis and, and sort of by extension the Bucks have not found ways to score when Toronto has a set half-court defense. And, we, I mean, you just mentioned it. Kawhi has. Kawhi has been able to, and you can talk about the whistle he gets as much as you want, whatever. The fact of the matter is, Kawhi and the Raptors can still engineer themselves points when they're not running in transition. And we've seen throughout, especially these last three games, there are times when the Bucks just cannot buy a basket for long stretches when they're not getting out and running in transition. And that's what's fueled a lot of these Raptors runs. And I think, obviously, you know, literally the season comes down to if the Bucks can figure out how to do that next game. And I think, I don't think just getting out and running in transition more is a real answer here. Like you said, Toronto's very good. I mean, their defense is why. It's not like the Bucks are just all of a sudden can't score. Toronto's defense has been excellent, but the Bucks need to be better. I don't think they can just rely on transition. They need to find a way to score against this Raptors defense. Yeah, I look, I, I know that in the half court, it, it seemed like it's been a bit of a struggle, but again... The Bucks were able to generate decent shots last night. When you look at the the starting lineup outside of Chris, if you take Chris Middleton out and add George Hill in, uh, that's five players that have shot over forty percent. With Giannis, Lopez, and Hill, that's three players that have shot over fifty percent. The Bucks shoot forty five percent from the field overall. I mean, they were finding ways to score. The big discrepancy in the end was uh, the three-point shooting, which, again, the Bucks just this series. And this is something that we've discussed all year long. If you're going to live and die by the three, uh, you have to be prepared to, to die by the three in, in, the, in the toughest situations. And the Bucks' three-point shooting in this series uh, has failed them. And last night, they only take 31. That's an extremely low number for this team. They only hit 10 of those. Uh, so 10 three-point makes for the Bucks. The Raptors hit 18. And, uh, you know, when you really, uh, you know, there's so many things that you can look at in this game, and we're going to go into them as we go along here. But for the Bucks, no one hits more than two threes. Uh, for the Raptors, you get five for eight shooting from three from Kawhi Leonard. You get seven for nine from Fred Van Fleet. We already know uh, Kyle Lowry's had seven threes in the game so far this series. The Raptors have just hit threes, and the Bucks haven't. And that's been the hallmark of the Bucks' offense all season long. And the half-court offense ticks along if you can hit threes and make things easier for Bledsoe and Giannis and these guys that so desperately want to get in the paint. The Bucks haven't done that. And all season long, we've seen if the Bucks aren't hitting threes, things bog down. Uh, it's been five straight games of that now. Yeah, I agree. I think part of it is, and I don't have any numbers on open versus wide open versus contested or whatever, but it's felt to me like the quality of threes has been a lot lower than it was during the run of the regular season for this Bucks team. And I think, again, some credit should go to Toronto for that because the Raptors have done a really good job in first trying to stop Giannis and, and often preventing Giannis from getting to the rim easily. And then secondary, getting back out to those shooters and contesting those shots. I mean, I don't. it doesn't feel to me like the Bucks have missed a ton of wide-open threes. It feels like they've taken them when they felt like they had to, and it might, maybe, always wasn't, it maybe wasn't always really there for them. Yeah, I'll have to look at what happened last night in terms of the numbers, but uh, your sort of feelings kind of go against what the numbers were. So they... They were they attempted 164 threes before Game Five in the series. 95 of those, so well over 50 percent of those were wide open. They were only shooting 30 percent on those wide open threes during the regular season. That number was 37 percent. So uh, it, it's been a disaster from three. 
Um, Look, uh, I think defensively, again, I thought the Bucs were pretty good last night. I I thought for for stretches, they looked back to their best. They were forcing some turnovers. They were running, and from the missed shots, they really looked dangerous when they could get the rebound and and push in transition. Uh, I think the fourth quarter... I already touched on those two threes from Leonard. Before that, there was a three from Van Fleet who just couldn't miss anything. But the difference between this game and game one, which was a kind of a similar game, you felt like it was tightly contested. Both teams weren't playing their absolute best, but defensively, they were sort of making things difficult for the opposition. And um, in the end, offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter killed the Bucs. Five for the Raptors just in the fourth quarter alone. And they got eight second chance points from that. On one possession, there was two offensive rebounds that ends up with a Marcus Hall three. There was one where Kawhi Leonard rebounded his own three-point shot and got fouled. There was the the shot clock violation slash Marcus Hall foul that he got to the free throw line. It just seemed that the Bucks were working so hard defensively and they weren't able to just get that rebound and finish off that defensive possession that they probably deserve because uh, I, I just thought they were battling so hard and, and and to give up those offensive rebounds. And there was a couple that were on the Bucks. There was also a couple of bad bounces, and sometimes that happens, but those were back-breaking plays for, for Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about choking or whatever, which I don't think is really necessary, um, but... I think the closest you come is those offensive rebounds. Um, Like you said, some of them are just bad bounces. Sometimes that just happens. But it did feel like there were multiple in the fourth quarter. And I mean, the one that's going to stick out the most for me is obviously because it was replayed about a thousand times. The one uh, Mark Gasol gets over Brooke, a.k.a. Robin Lopez, if you were listening to the TNT broadcast. uh, Because it did take a weird bounce off the rim, but it just... No matter if there was a way for the Bucks to get it or not, and I, I think there was, but just seeing you know Brooke Lopez have position and then Chris Middleton be right there, and somehow it just gets through both of them and gets to Gasol. I mean, it's just tough. Uh, it's just tough to see because, I mean, we saw the Bucks have gotten wins in this series that way, getting those offensive rebounds, and I think that those it feels like those have gone the other way for the last three games, and that's just when two teams are pretty evenly matched. If one of them is going to get multiple reloads in key situations, I mean, that team is going to have a pretty big advantage. And I think the Raptors fought like hell. And, I mean, Kawhi goes and gets the rebound on his own three. That one I thought was inexcusable. You got to box out, guys. And, uh, yeah, it just it just gave Raptors second chances that they did not squander. Yeah, that, that one in particular, the one where Leonard got it, Bud, when sort of explaining the fourth quarter post game, I think that was the that was the one that he mentioned that you were like, "Wow, this looks like this is really painful for Bud to even uh, talk about right now." Uh, it was it was rough. It was rough, and as the fourth quarter went on, you could, could pro- progressively uh, feel the anxiety and anguish building uh, in the Fiserv crowd. It was it was a rough. Rough uh, building to be in at at the final buzzer. There was uh, Bucks fans walking out in complete silence. There was also uh, a sort of an eerie feeling as I was walking down to go to the go to the uh, post game press conferences. There was hundreds of Bucks fans uh, just sitting in their seats in silence, just sort of head in their hand. It was uh, it was a rough. Uh, sort of feeling in the in the building right then as Buck Sands contemplate uh, maybe what's uh, slipped by them. But uh, I think we should talk about Giannis. Uh, it's hard. I, I, I really don't know how to assess his game last night. I, I really don't. He has 24 points, uh, six rebounds, six assists, two turnovers, which to me... When I when I looked and saw only two turnovers, that was a shocking number to me. I mean, yeah, I, I, the, the scorer might have given him a, a little assist there. I, I don't. That's strange. Like I, to me, it felt like when I when I pulled up the box score and I was 
Uh, working through some of my, uh, I guess, writing last night and then prepping for this podcast, uh, I thought that it, I was going to see six or seven, honestly. Um, he seemed early in the game like everything was a fumble. Everything was hard for him, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a crowd. And then late in the fourth quarter as well, it was just uh, a couple of costly errors from Giannis he finishes nine for 18 from the field and and two or three from three he hit a really big three in the fourth quarter uh again the free throw struggles continue four for nine from the from the free throw line for Giannis and uh I mean that's that's a big big problem right now when you think about the Bucks heading to Toronto uh he spoke so much about the crowd potentially being a factor for him shooting free throws it seemed like he was mentally a little shook by the crowd uh, and everything that was happening there. So for him to come home and still only shoot four for nine, I mean, it's all in his head right now. Uh, he's really struggling from the free throw line. But again, just a night where and I, I think he sort of broke free as the game went on, but certainly for the first quarter and a half, maybe even more than that, I mean, he just couldn't finish anything in the paint and he was getting really good looks. I mean, for Giannis, uh, he was basically right there a couple of times. He, he, he misses a dunk. Uh, misses several layups. Uh, he just seemed really out of sorts. Yeah, he did. I, I do wonder if the the free throw things are playing into that. I know a lot of people have suggested that as well, in, in addition to Hugh right now. Um, the thing with him, I really think, and I uh, you know, I follow a lot of Cavs people uh, from the Chase Down uh, podcast. They're, they're fans in the Discord and everything else. And they're, and they're, they're hosts too. Shout out to them also uh, on the Blue Wire Network. But they, they love to talk about how you can tell the difference between LeBron and everybody else because, like, LeBron pretty much always makes the right decisions if you collapse the defense on him. And Giannis just isn't there right now. And I think – I mean, listen, I don't love comparing people to LeBron for this reason because it's kind of unfair to whoever you're comparing to LeBron. But I do see the vision. I do think Giannis needs to be able to strike a better balance between – aggressively attacking the rim and knowing, okay, there's three guys right here on me. Somebody is wide open right now. Let me find them. And obviously it's not easy. I'm I'm not trying to make it sound like it's like one simple tweak and you'll be a 28, seven and seven guy for the rest of your career. Like it's not, it's very hard. That's why nobody except LeBron is that good. But I just think that's the, that's, that's what I think is the most important thing for him to focus on personally, because I mean, once you get to that level, even if the three isn't necessarily falling, I mean, if you're always going to find the open guy when there's three guys on you, your your offense is probably going to hum. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> it was such a weird start, to be honest. And, and I did already touch on the fact that it looked like um, those usual baskets that he makes were were not coming off, but the Bucks go in with a with a ten point lead after the first quarter. Uh, Chris Middleton and Giannis scoring wise really had zero impact, but they both had five assists. I mean, uh, I thought that that was the Bucks' offense, and you would have loved to put an exclamation point on that with some Giannis baskets that he was missing. But I mean, the ball was moving almost as well as it has for the entire series. I think Giannis has become so so good distributing the ball and and his vision. And his ability to understand and know where his teammates are has been something we've really marveled at as the season's gone on. Uh, and and I thought that he was really good in that area. Uh, both Middleton and and Giannis right throughout the night, uh, I thought for the most part uh, passed the ball really well. Six assists for Giannis, only one after the first quarter, uh, which is probably um, a little disappointing, but but Middleton had ten assists to go with with ten rebounds as well. I thought his passing all night was, was excellent. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I I certainly understand what you're saying. It it seems like this series might be the one where Giannis will have, and and regardless of what happens, whether the Bucks move on to the finals or or the season ends here in the conference finals. Uh, I think this is certainly the series where he can walk away and say, okay, uh, I think I know what I need to work on. And, and look, he's probably going to win the MVP. Or not probably. I mean, he is going to win the MVP. Uh, first team All-NBA, first team All-Defense, potentially the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, and he's going to walk away and say, okay, uh, there's some real stuff I need to work on, which is in itself just absolutely ridiculous. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, talk, I talk about lofty standards, and I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to make it sound like you know we're we're just always expecting unreasonable things from Giannis. I mean, it's I mean Giannis in himself, like the existence of a basketball player like this is pretty unreasonable. But I mean, let's let's contextualize. I mean, it's not like. I mean, this is literally to get to the finals. I mean, you have to be great. That's how it is. You can't really have a very exploitable weakness. I mean, that's just – that's the stakes. It's very hard. It's it's probably not fair. That's how it is. I mean, a lot of people are going to – I'm sure Bucks fans are going to take away that Giannis gets ripped off on every whistle in this series, and that's that's fine. I mean, sort of. He gets to the line often, as we've know, you've noted already, even if he got there a lot more. I mean – Right now, he's not generating points from those trips enough that it would really probably kill most teams. You got to make those free throws if you're going to get him in the first place. But I think the the Raptors' strategy right now of we're going to be very physical with Giannis and we're going to make life very hard for him and, and show him two and three guys, more teams are going to do this. That's how the NBA works. And you have to you have to look at it again and again and again until you learn how to beat it. So... I agree. I mean, Giannis is young. This is his first real deep playoff run. I, it's, I think it's it's not fine, but I think it's understandable for a guy like this who's never been tested at this level before to run into something that gives him some trouble. Uh, I just it, It's interesting how we look at, I think, players a lot, how we want to say anything about their legacy at a point like this. I just think it's far too early for anything like that personally. Yeah, and uh, I don't really want to talk about the officials that much. I mean, you know by now, the listeners know by now, that's not something I generally like to do. Um, Yeah, same here. I did tweet, I think it was during the third quarter, that I I just had no idea what was going on with this game. Uh, That crew, for mine, I mean, that might be the worst officiated game I've seen all season, and... I think that I really do think that it went both ways. Now, I could I could probably tell you that I think in the end, uh, the Bucks it seemed to be going against them more than the other way. Uh, I think you always have to be careful saying that because I'm pretty sure if you talk to some Raptors fans, they would disagree. But it's always confusing to me just by the nature of the way this Bucks teams play when you get a free throw differential of. 13 on the game and it seems pretty simplistic to say and I've certainly made a comment like that before in the past and and had you know uh fans from different teams or whatever really get on me for it but if you I mean you really have to understand the way the Bucks play basketball and they're either trying to shoot layups or shoot threes and they they're getting in the paint uh just a, a ridiculous amount. I mean, that's what that's what it's all about. You see how far Giannis is in there. And I, I've spoke all year about the fact that Giannis is at, at that LeBron level physicality-wise where he's probably fouled on every play. And you can't actually call every single foul. I mean, the game would go for seven days. Uh, it would just be ridiculous. He would shoot 43 throws. And <laughs> it, it, I mean, the game would be a fast. But for him to only have nine free throws, the amount of times he spent on the floor after getting knocked to the floor. Bledsoe the same. I mean, there was one. I, I think it was it was the first quarter or the second quarter. I pretty sure, it might have been the second quarter when the Bucks were going right through their drought where Bledsoe drove baseline. And, I mean, he got properly checked. Like, I mean, it, it was a player that probably should have been in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Bledsoe gets sent to the floor. I think it was Gasol. Uh, and nothing happened. I mean, there was just so many plays last night where I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and then down the other end, they would randomly decide. I shouldn't just say down the other end, but uh, uh, both ways, they would randomly decide they're going to play blow the whistle on a touch foul. I didn't think the refs had any control of this game, and uh, I think everyone on both sides, and really everyone in the whole NBA because I saw a lot of people that weren't affiliated with any team that were saying some of the same things. I think everyone would be happy if that crew uh, never touches a whistle again for the rest of the season because it was pretty pathetic. Yeah, it was inexplicable. I called it a shit show. Uh, after the, at the end of the game, I've, what did they mess up really late? Now I can't remember. 
Um, it didn't matter at that point, but they absolutely well, blew something in like the last minute. Well, the, the the play in the last minute that stands out to me was when Middleton absolutely bulldozed uh, Kyle Lowry, and for some reason, oh yeah, that was it. Yeah, they, they somehow missed intentional foul. The one time the Bucks wanted a whistle, and they and they couldn't actually get it. Um, yeah, I think that that kind of put a bow on the whole thing. I mean, um, like Sterling Brown's reach on Lowry is like non-existent. And then on the other hand, I think like Siakam had a really weird whistle in this game. I thought that he got, he was uh, the victim in a couple of very iffy things. I think he was the one who tried to take a charge at one point and it looked like he was pretty well. So maybe it was Lowry. Maybe I can't really remember. And then he drew one on offense that was seemed iffy too, but it was just a horrible uh, officiated game. And I think the thing that, you know, I mean, we talked to Brian Butch and he said this. I know I've heard it from players before and coaches and everything. Even if, like, players would prefer a, a game where a lot, like, minimal contact gets whistled, if that happens consistently over an inconsistent whistle, because then you can't really get comfortable playing any sort of way. You just don't know. And I think the problem with this game was the, the inconsistent whistle. I, I just think. You know, players didn't know exactly what to expect. You know, unlike customers of Harry's Razors, who know exactly what to expect. And that's a better shaving experience. You, Blue Wire listener, Eurostep listener to be specific, can go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich, lathering shave gel, and, of course, the vital travel blade cover. Enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for more than 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Every single one of of Harry's razors come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. That's a a timely ad rate there, Uh, Ty. That is... uh... That's pretty good. Pretty good. You got- I f- you, were, you were on me for getting the last ones late, so I knew I had to get this one in earlier. No, no. I'm impressed. I mean, I'm always impressed with the ad read, but the timing today was was very good. I, I've i got one last thing on the officiating before we move on. Mike Budenholzer was asked after the game, uh, specifically when it comes to Giannis, ab- about the calls uh and I think he's been progressively <laughs> talking about this more as the series goes on. But he again said, it just feels like he should be at the free throw line more. They have a couple of guys that are veterans that are very crafty that seem to get there a lot. Larry, when he drives, you've got to be incredibly disciplined. He creates a lot of contact and is rewarded for it. Giannis creates a lot of the same contact and doesn't seem to get the same whistle, get the same reward. He, he went on to say that he thinks that the officials have got a tough job, uh, but they would love for Giannis to get to the free throw line and they feel like he deserves it. So uh, I think that that's pretty pointed from Bud. Uh, I think at this point um, they're trying to set the scene for a game where the Bucks have nothing to lose now. And if Giannis is going to fail out with six charges, then whatever. So, so be it. But uh, I think that he's going to be – at his absolute most aggressive in, in, in game six, there you know, I mean there's 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 no other option. And he's gonna have to get to the free throw line and he's gonna have to get over whatever mental demons he's got right now and he's gonna have to hit free throws because uh there's no tomorrow for the Bucks. And and the the Bucks have lost games. Uh, they lost game one against the Celtics. I mean they lost the last two games, but you always still felt like they were in control. They're no longer in control. And uh, Giannis is going to have to come up with something big because at the end of the day, you said about uh, holding him to high standards. But this isn't just some player. This is the MVP. And that's why you hold him to those standards. 100%. Um, I wonder sometimes if various Bucks players and, and Coach Bud should 
kind of work the officials more. I mean, we've seen the the last two teams Milwaukee has played now, you know, the Celtics and, and now the, the Raptors. I mean, they're constantly chirping at the refs, and they, for the most part, avoid technicals while doing so, but it does seem like those things do have some sort of an impact as long as you're not too annoying about it. Um, the one thing I will say, completely apropos of nothing, my favorite part about the ad reads isn't anything to do with the ad reads, but it's like you always have a perfect play drawn up for after. It's like a timeout and you have like the ATO ready. And that again, it happened again. So that's impressive on your part, Kane. Shout out to you. <laughs> Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, we were, we were speaking before we started the pod, and uh, well, it's it's six thirty a.m. now. Uh, I finished my work and got to bed at around four a.m. So I'm rolling on about an hour's sleep, maybe ninety minutes. So if you're telling me that you think uh, that was a sharp, uh, you know, progression in the podcast, then I'm feeling pretty damn good about that. Um, but. One thing I will say and I, I will ask you about was we wondered about the starting lineup. We've really wondered about the starting lineup ever since Brogdon came back. Uh, Brogdon comes in. was terrific in the first quarter. Eight points in the first quarter. He finishes with 18. Well, one of the Bucks' better players on the night. He gets 11 rebounds and six assists as well. So uh, a really solid first up start for Brogdon. He plays 33 minutes. Uh, he did start to miss some shots as the night went on. Uh, I certainly think he started... Uh, hot with those with those two threes, didn't hit another three after that. But the guy that went out of the starting lineup, Nico Miritic, just nine minutes, still could not hit those threes. Zero for three uh, from deep, zero for four from the field altogether. And we really saw Bud completely go away from Miritic for the first time since he was in Milwaukee. But after the game, he gave the token comment to me and said. Yeah, we're going to evaluate it. Nico's a great shooter. He's great for spacing. And I had some had some people sort of quote tweeting that and, and sort of being angry at Bud. But uh, just as a little news flash to anyone that, that was annoyed by that comment, uh, Bud is not going to come out after the Bucks lost a playoff game and now need to win and trash one of his players for the way he's shooting. So he said whatever he felt that he had to say. But... His body language and his look when I asked him that, he almost, when I was saying, are you even able to be able to play Miritic in this series? He sort of gave me a look that made me think that he was like, yeah, I know what you're saying here, Kane. It's pretty rough. And it, it has been for Miritic. It, it, it hasn't been pretty. It hasn't. I, I Quickly, I quietly love you just inferring things from Bud's looks because – I absolutely know what you mean about sometimes coaches can only say certain things, but they can mean other things. And a hundred percent, I I wasn't there for that one specifically, but I I take your word a hundred percent. I exactly know what you're talking about. Just some numbers. I think that kind of paint the, why the Miritich experiment has not been working. Um, I, I think when we talked about already earlier, you know, the first quarter, everything was working for the bucks because, in large part, I mean, guys were hitting shots, sure, but I think it's more complicated than that. The ball was zipping, and that's we've we've talked about this forever. I mean, when the Bucks move the ball and pass up good shots for great shots, that's when they really get rolling. That's when you see them really go to work. And I just don't think Miritich has been a guy who has been able to do anything except end a possession. You know, he's he's going to shoot. He just shoots and. The numbers bear that out. All the games he's played with the Bucks in the regular season, he had more than two assists one time uh, with Milwaukee. He had three assists, I think, once also with the uh, Pelicans. And then this series in particular, the Bucks against the Raptors, and this is not updated through game five for some reason. Get get on your get on your stuff, NBA.com. We can assume it's more of the same. In nine minutes, the Bucks were outscored by 11 points with Nico on the floor. He missed all of his shots in, in game uh, five. So, these numbers probably would not change a lot, but in the first four games against Toronto with Nico on, the Bucks are minus 9.4 per 100 possessions. That's the worst among uh, any Bucks player. Next closest is Chris, who's minus 4.5. With Nico off, the Bucks are plus 16.2 per 100 possessions in 100 minutes. So they basically go from getting smacked around with Miritich on the floor through the first four games to absolutely rolling with him off the floor. 
And I think the most important number to that is right next to net rating here on NBA.com's uh, on-off numbers. Nico on, Bucks assist percentage is 57.9. With him off, 70.9. <laughs> Nico on, assist to turnover ratio for the Bucks 1.4. With him off, 2.5. So the ball movement stops. The offense stops. I mean, the offensive rating goes from 100 with him on to 106 with him off, which still isn't tremendous, but it's better. I mean, the defense, absolutely. The defense swings by 20 uh, from 109 on to 89 off. So that's pretty pretty obvious too. But even if he's not a great defender, I mean, if he fit into the offense better, I think he would still be playable. I just think he hasn't really meshed with the rest of the Bucks on either end. And uh, the numbers, the eye test, uh, the, the minutes for him in this last game all kind of bear that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a shame when I when I think to how this this Miritich sort of uh, stint is going. The Bucks. It's unfortunate because uh, I really thought that he was starting to look really, really good before he had the injury, missed an extended period of time before the playoffs, um, and, and sort of had to try and <laughs> pick it up in, in the postseason. And it just hasn't happened for him. Uh, you know, at the time of the trade, such a such a great move by John Horst in the box. Miritich was a guy that shot 43% in the postseason last last year for the Pelicans. He was just insane. And and I, I remember being at a couple of those games uh, when they played Golden State at Oracle. And and this guy was just an absolute sniper. And I think that's what everyone pictured with, with Nico Miritich. And for just for a number of reasons, it hasn't worked out for him. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure what this means of him going forward. I, I do think that but is probably going to give him a chance in game six and try and get him a couple of looks. And if he's hitting them, uh, he'll stay on the floor. And if he's not, that might be all we see of Miritich uh, in, in that game on, on Saturday night. So the Bucks bench obviously been such a big factor all season long. They're just a brutal night for them. And it's notable that Bud really shortened the rotation. So Miritich, nine minutes. Conaton, only 12. Uyasova only plays 11. So uh, just around 10 minutes for those three guys. It didn't go well. <laughs> Miritich mi- minus 11 on the box score. Conant a minus 12. Louis Saber minus 10. And then George Hill plays 28 minutes and he was a minus 22. And I didn't think George Hill was terrible. 12 points. I thought he was important in the third quarter with seven. But he's a minus 22 in 28 minutes. Just a, a brutal night for the Bucks bench. And you compare that down the other end. Fred Van Fleet uh, acting like he's Steph Curry at the with uh, 21 points, seven three-pointers, as I said, seven for nine. He was a plus 28 in, in his 37 minutes. As a guy that's hardly been able to hit the rim uh, over the last couple of series, comes out and drops seven threes. And, I mean, it, it, it just felt like that was a nail in the coffin for a Bucks team that couldn't hit a three themselves when they've got this guy out there uh, unable to miss. It was a pretty... Special performance by Van Fleet, but not good uh, for the Bucks. Yeah, I think more players should try, uh, you know, having having children in the middle of important playoff series. Clearly, it's worked for Fred Van Vliet. Uh, all credit to him for having a tremendous game. You know, I think the Bucks need to cover him a lot better. I don't know if they were really just losing him that often or if since his playoffs were so bad, the the sort of assumption on the part of the team was, oh, you know, he's not going to keep hitting these, whatever it was. I mean, it felt like he was wide open with space beyond the three-point arc a lot. And, I mean, he made what felt like all of those looks count uh, against the Bucks. So needed to do a better job on, uh, on Van Vliet, I would say, for sure. I mean, you can try to play percentages sometimes and go, oh, well, he's not, he can't keep hitting, whatever. But, I mean, a guy who is usually a pretty good three-point shooter who just had been cold. I mean, I just think you're playing with fire when the guy like that makes a couple and ends up getting more looks. I just think the feeling of going from missing everything to seeing a couple go in can kind of feel like that basket just gets bigger and bigger. And I think we kind of saw Bledsoe experience the same feeling. His basket just didn't get any bigger after his first early three-point shot make. Yeah, I I think – that's pretty accurate, and and it, I will say though, and if we want to look at any sort of positive from the game, and 
I don't think it really filtered on through the game, but the first quarter for Bledsoe was uh, a good sign. And I, I think actually throughout most of the game, he was playing at the right tempo and he was playing with, with the right aggression that we haven't really seen a lot for him. I will say that I was really frustrated uh, with that with that turnover late in the game where, you know, Brogdon oh, gets pinned. God. I mean, Brogdon gets pinned with a turnover, but, I mean, just a terrible decision, I thought, from Bledsoe just to lob that little pass over the top when he was at the point of attack. It was a really passive move from from Bledsoe, and he sort of set up Brogdon. I, I think that the blame for that needs to be shared uh, between those two. I'm not totally comfortable putting it all on Brogdon, but poor decision from Bled. But overall, he has 20 points, uh, 6 for 14 from the field. He did get a little happy from from three after hitting a couple. He was 2 for 7. But he got to the free throw line six times, and I thought his aggression was in the right place. And uh, look, he needed to do something in this game because, uh, you know, as we've said multiple times, it's do or die for the Bucks, win or go home. And they need him to be at his best. So I, I think mentally for him to put up 20 points is a good thing uh, for the Bucks and something they can sort of look back on and say, okay, well, you know, we can sort of hope that, that Bledsoe is going to be the old Bledsoe, the regular season Bledsoe here. And, and maybe he's got something in the tank uh, that can help the Bucks bring this thing back to Milwaukee. Yeah, that's certainly the hope. Um, I, I thought his, that, that decision obviously bad. I think he jumped before knowing what he was going to do, which is yeah. a cardinal sin. Um, overall, a little better performance from him. I'd like to see him, uh, you know, just pick the spots better. Some of those threes, you just go, oh, no, like stop. Yeah. Just, yeah. just stop. But like you said, I mean, at least you can live with those things a little more when he's attacking and getting to the rim in between them. It's when – he strings together those Ill, ill-advised jump shots that really make it tough to watch. And uh, Van Vliet went off, but, I mean, Lowry was pretty in control here. I mean, he draws a lot of free throws. He's very good at that, but 4 for 11 from the field for Lowry. So a better job on him by Bledsoe, I would say. Um, we've talked about two of them. Bucks have a, a big three. Uh, Chris Middleton, another underwhelming game, and I know – that him picking up the Kawhi assignment makes it more understandable, but Chris Middleton making two shots is never going to be enough. Six points only for Chris, who would have had a triple-double with any sort of a relatively decent offensive game, 10 rebounds, 10 assists for Chris. So he was moving the ball, deserved credit for that, but two for nine, 0 for two from deep. And especially in the game where, to me, it felt like Brogdon was taking on the Kawhi assignment quite a bit as well. I mean, I mean, it's obvious the Bucks needed more from Chris Middleton offensively tonight. They just did. Yeah, it's a strange game offensively for Middleton. I mean, he only gets up nine shots. Uh, I, I don't know. It was. I mean, we know that the Bucks don't really design or run their offense to to get any one guy going. That's not the way it works. But I don't remember. I mean, it was it was so strange. I was as this game continued to go on. I'm like, okay, yeah, Milton hasn't hit a shot. All right, yep, he still hasn't hit a shot. And it just kept going and going and going. And I don't really remember looking at too many possessions where I was like, oh, Milton needed to score there. Or Milton needed to take the shot. It was almost as if he just like the ball was never in his hands. I and and obviously he has ten assists. So I thought that you know passing or his distribution was was really really good. I, I thought that he made. Uh, or he got the Bucks baskets in possessions where you were wondering what was going to happen, and then just a, a beautiful pass from Chris got the Bucks points. I mean, I think he was really, really good in aspect, but in that aspect, but scoring wise, he just never really seemed to get to his spots. It was such a strange night, and he, you're not used to seeing that. He even only gets up two threes, which is unlike Chris. He's normally going to fire a couple of those transition looks up, or those ones where he he really. Uh, backs out his guy to near half court, then just walks into a three. You normally he's normally good for at least a couple of those attempts. They just didn't happen. Uh, maybe he wasn't aggressive enough, looking for his own shot. Uh, because yeah, nine shot attempts and only six points. Regardless of who he's defending, um, you need uh, more than that uh, from Chris Middleton. There, even though the Bucks did have five guys in double digits, uh, you would hope that Chris is going to be one of those guys. I do feel for Middleton. I mean, acknowledging how much you know, how much more he needs to do scoring wise on offense. 
I will say it is kind of tough because early in the season, the the whole thing was he's taking too many shots that don't fit into the offense and he needs to sacrifice more. And he does, and the Bucks become really good because of it. And now it's sort of flipped 100% to where he needs to fit out a little bit. But still, I mean, that being said, I mean, need more than two makes from, from Chris Middleton on this team. I mean, we've talked about it. The Bucks are good because they get multiple guys going, but it all starts with first Giannis and then Chris and Bledsoe. And, and Bledsoe was fine. Middleton wasn't. And I'm not saying he cost them the game, but in a pretty close game when Middleton only has six points, I mean, it certainly would have helped for him to knock down a couple more shots. So, uh, I think that's uh, probably not a very hot take. No, yeah. Yeah, he'd love to get more than six points from Middleton. Uh, the guy's an all-star. And for the Bucks, uh, regardless of what he's doing on the defensive end, you'd like to get some more scoring punch from him. But uh, in the end, the Bucks, as I said earlier, 45% from the field, not a bad number. But again, they languished in the low 30s, just 32% from three. They weren't able to get to the free throw line, only 18 attempts for Milwaukee. Uh, they, they have 11 turnovers to just six. It was it's just such a strange, or it is just such a strange box score to look at. But we can pick this apart all we want. But it's a pretty simple equation right now. Uh, the Bucks have to win two in a row. Uh, they've beaten Toronto twice in a row just last week, so uh, you don't have to go back too far to to see how this could happen. But they need to win on the road, uh, and they weren't able to do that in game three and four in Toronto. That place is going to be going absolutely crazy on Saturday night. It's it's a ridiculous atmosphere in there, and, and they're going to be putting as much pressure on the Bucks as they can. The Bucks are going to have to try and silence that crowd. It's going to start with Giannis. It's going to start with uh, the Bucks hitting threes. And But, uh, you know, th- these are the things that haven't really happened in this series. They're going to have to pull one out of the bag. Giannis said in the locker room post game that the Bucks are not going to fold. He said, maybe we'll lose the game, but we're not going to fold. This is not what this team is about. We're going to fight, and we're going to fight this thing right to the end, no matter what happens. And you have to believe that this is such a competitive group. Uh, they've been competitive all season. They hate losing. They uh, were very evidently pissed off last night that they've lost three in a row, and they're even in this position. But they get one more shot on the road to try and extend this thing to game seven to try and get to the NBA finals. Yeah, I think uh, it's no doubt that Toronto will be bumping, especially on a Saturday night. But, um, yeah, it's the, the season on the line. I think uh, at this point, just hopefully for the uh, the Bucks' sake, I was quite wrong when I said yesterday repeatedly that I thought the uh, winner of Game 5 would have the series here. Uh, it's going to Toronto for a pivotal game. I think we're going to see, hopefully, the Bucks put forth their absolute best effort here and and come out with a, a concrete game plan. And, you know, the Raptors are really good. That might not even be enough in itself, but I think at least we've gotten a, a competitive series. And, hey, if this is, uh, if this is it, at least the Bucks have a chance to go down swinging here in a game that really matters for the first time in a very long time. Yeah, I think you're going to see the Bucks come out. They're going to they're going to be super aggressive. Uh, they're going to play a physical brand of basketball, and they're going to let it fly from three. I think we're going to see a lot of threes. I'd be very surprised uh, if the Bucks only attempt 31 threes as they did in Game Five. I think that number is going to be well above 40. Uh, I think they're going to really, really uh, understand that. Yeah, swing for the fences here. I mean, there's no point going down uh, meekly in this in this game. It's been such a such a great season for the Bucks, but it's not over yet. They get a chance in Game Six, and if they find a way to win that game, they're coming back home for Game Seven. And even though last night panned out the way it did, you like the Bucks at home in a Game Seven. So uh, even though there's going to be a lot of disappointment from Bucks fans from the from the game last night, I'm sure that they will dust themselves off. They might not do much work on Friday. They're going to have a few beers before the game on Saturday night, and they're going to be there ready to support the Bucks, who uh, have been so good all season, as we said. This is the first time that they really, really, really have their backs up against the wall. And it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. This is a team that's played from the front all year long. 
they've pretty much been the favourite in every single game they've played uh, from early in the season. They now are going to be the heavy underdogs. They now are going to be expected to lose for the first time, really. And uh, I just wonder if that maybe little pressure release, I guess, of, of people not expecting them to win anymore. People expected them to get to the finals. That pressure was on them, particularly when they take a 2 nothing lead. I wonder if this is going to be beneficial for them and they can go in there and just play basketball, enjoy themselves, and, and win a game. Uh, but as is the nature with this uh, Eastern Conference Finals, we do not have long to wait. That game is Saturday night, 7.30 Central Time. The Bucks will fly to Toronto on Friday afternoon, get in there by, for Friday night, hopefully get some sleep and wake up and, and create some good memories in Scotiabank Arena where they were not able to win last week. And uh, they're going to have to, Ty. Yeah, they uh, they sure are. Uh, we're always rooting for more basketball here, especially when it means the Bucks go to the finals. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday night. In the meantime, thank you, Kane, for taking the time and, and taking the lack of the the taking taking away from potential sleep, which is a very important, rare, precious commodity for you right now. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We of course always value that. Yeah, that people are sticking with us in these trying times. And, uh, you know, we will uh, talk to you folks next time after game six, either way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.